Chelsea Fairless and welcome to another episode of Every Outfit. So it's come to our attention that we offended some people with our last episode and by people I mean people that own Pave diamond engagement rings or wedding bands. We're not sure. Wedding bands like whatever because we were talking about Kourtney Kardashian's ring and to those people I'm sorry we offended you. I'm sorry I can't don't hate us. And you know what it's not even that I don't like a Pave diamond band. I do but having a Pave diamond band with a big rock on it just feels like gilding a lily to me. And you know what if you have this ring our opinion doesn't invalidate your ring it's just our opinion. Feel free to ignore our opinion like I'm not even that committed to my own opinions and I'm always interested to hear when people disagree with us oh really yeah I mean I wish that we disagreed more just for the drama of it like I think it would be good for the show if it was more like crossfire (laughs) which one of us is Tucker Carlson (laughs) I think you because you you pull more menswear looks than (laughs) I do (laughs) next week I'll show up in a bow tie yeah but If you do disagree with us, we found a perfect solution, which is the Every Outfit Hotline. Yes, we've started a hotline. The number is, what's the number? 323-486-6773. It will also be in the episode notes. You can just click on it, call it. Leave us a voicemail with dissenting opinions. You know what? If you can make a really good argument for something, like we'll play it on the pod and admit that we were wrong. And the hotline is also open to hot takes, relationship questions, honestly, whatever you have to ask of us. Yeah, stuff you want us to talk about. I would also really love it if some of you people could send us like some anonymous celebrity gossip, you know? So please call in. This is going to be so sad. Because we get emails every time someone leaves a message, and I'm just going to be checking our inbox to be like, did anyone leave a message? (laughs) Who called me a piece of shit today? (laughs) Oh, yeah, this could go so badly for us. We might shut this down by the time uh, next week's pod rolls around. Um, So get in while the getting is good. (laughs) Anyway. Chelsea, I see that there's lots of Sex in the City news to talk about. There is. I mean, there's not a ton of news. There's a lot of wacky outfits, though. We haven't really talked about the fashions of just like that for a while. And in the last few weeks, we have seen what feels like a seemingly endless parade of very quirky outfits. Finally, some quirky carry outfits. Yeah. We were concerned. Yeah, so, I mean, we had the one outfit that was like the Batsheva outfit where she looks like a demented Gucci brand ambassador wearing a headscarf, like little Edie vibes. Her shoes are unbuckled. She's a hot mess. Yeah, I think that day of filming, because she was seen wearing a couple different outfits that they're doing pickup shots of her coming out of the apartment, because if I had to guess... I assume that there's going to be a sequence within the show where Carrie is back living at her apartment and is going through it. Because we saw those photos of her smoking through the car, kind of drunkenly being lifted out of a van by some guy that looks like a Worldwide Express guy. Yeah. 
uh, being lifted up the stairs. So I think this is a, a uh, Carrie loses her shit sequence. Yeah, for sure. I liked it, though. To me, this is like the best outfit that we've seen just because it's so funny and there's stuff for us to talk about also. Well, I've always said that Carrie's style and why it was so toned down in the films is because if you take Carrie's style from season three, four and play it out to its logical conclusion, she's just going to look like Helena Bottom Carter in bright clothes. It's interesting because I feel like with the reboot, it's either the outfits are very normal not conservative necessarily, but kind of compared to the stuff that we've seen Carrie wear in the past. But on the other end of the spectrum are these looks that are like much crazier than anything that she ever wore on the show. I enjoy that there's no middle ground. They're like, they're either <laughs> going to look like they did in the films or even crazier than the show ever was. Well, yeah, because the other look that was really wacky that we've got recently was what we've called the Paula Poundstone look, which is a uh, vintage Jean-Paul Gaultier ensemble with like a vest, slacks, polka dot shirt, red straight tie with kind of like a very 80s boxy royal blue wool jacket over it, right? Like a little cropped jacket. In a blue high heel. It's not great. I mean, I kind of am into it, actually. I know everyone, we posted it, and we didn't even have a bitchy caption necessarily, but, like, everyone's comments were like, what the fuck is this? Well, sometimes the captions are what we just personally text each other, and when you initially texted me that image, I was like, wow, this is really giving Paula Poundstone, which if you don't know who Paula Poundstone is, Google it. Or, you know what, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, again, I'm kind of into it because at least it's like extreme and we have something to talk about. But I think it's interesting that we've seen Carrie in more menswear looks in this reboot than we ever have before. I mean, I'm here for it. We're obviously not going to get it with Miranda. So someone needs to be giving us a Diane Keaton vibes. <laughs> it's true. Like these people would sooner die than put Miranda in a in a nice uh, suit from the row. You know why? I think because we wanted it too much. The costume department was like, fuck those every outfit girls. <laughs> what else have we had? Oh, another noteworthy look was SJP had a full like Indian outfit. She was wearing a lehenga, which is like a traditional embroidered long A-line skirt, basically, with like a cropped top and a bunch of flowers in her hair. So people are guessing that she is going to some sort of Indian wedding or something, which is kind of the only appropriate place to wear this Although it is uh, as a white woman, <laughs> although it is Carrie, it's hard to say. I think the most exciting thing, uh, I thought we were getting Miranda in a menswear look because Cynthia Nixon in one photo is pictured behind Sarah Jessica Parker. But really, even more exciting, she's directing an episode. Yeah. She looked cool, too. I was showing Tat those photos and she was like, oh, wow, like. Miranda looks amazing. And I'm like, that's not a costume. That's just what she's wear actually that's what wearing. Cynthia wears. I know. Yeah. It's this pinstripe blazer and a, a kind of a graphic tee and black slacks and her hair sort of sticking up all over. Very Laurie, a little, Laurie oh, Anderson or something. Yeah. Totally Laurie Anderson. And then I got really sad because that's just what Cynthia <laughs> looks like. It wasn't a Miranda costume. They need to let her style herself like Diane Keaton, you know? Oh, my God. Do you remember when we did the, the fundraiser for Cynthia Nixon when she was running for governor and we asked her a question about the infamous puffer jacket and overalls, which, guys, again, 
Halloween coming up. Please send us all of your Sex in the City related costumes if you dress up that way. And we were asking her about that infamous, the puffer jacket and the overalls. And I jokingly was like, oh, like, was that your own wardrobe? And she was so horrified. She was like, I don't dress like that. And I was like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Also, like, you look extremely cool if you're misunderstanding what we're saying. Yeah. Um, Is that why she doesn't talk to us anymore? (laughs) (laughs) No, she does. Love, Cynthia. Yeah. So, but in other Sex in the City news, SJP was seen kissing a guy that's not Mr. Big. Or Aiden. Yeah, it's the actor John Teeny who uh, co-starred with Parker briefly on a law show called Equal Justice, which just seems like every David E. Kelly show before David <laughs> E. Kelly made his law shows. Yeah. Uh, and also, for my Fool's Rush In Hive, this actor, <laughs> this actor plays uh, Matthew Perry's work bro in the movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're going to get DMs. I so do not remember this. We're going to get DMs where people are like, thank you, Lauren. I knew he looked familiar. (laughs) Yeah. So Mr. Big might be out or they're just throwing us off with this guy. But she shot multiple scenes with this guy. So that seems like that would be excessive. And it's just a kiss. Yeah. You know, she kissed Aiden. Maybe she wants to get another rock because she kissed Aiden in the second film and Big was like, I'm sorry you quasi-cheated. Here's a big diamond ring to you. (laughs) I legit have no idea what is happening this season. Like, from all of the press photos we've seen, there's so much story. And I love that. Natasha, Big and Carrie in Paris, all of the new characters... Anthony apparently owning some sort of bread delivery business. Yeah, that funeral sequence. Or picnic. It is exciting because I have no idea how all of this is structured. Yeah. You posited, because the outfit that Carrie is wearing in the scene with Big in Paris, you were like, oh, she was photographed in Brooklyn at some like French restaurant. Mm-hmm. And like, you were like, is that a fantasy sequence she imagining her and big in paris and i was like or production wise they just found a french bistro and are pretending that that's going to be an interior for the paris scenes and you were like oh well i was imagining she was just going to eat some like escargot and just be transported back to the memory of when things were good with mr big you know you know what maybe maybe there's a little magical realism like he's dead and he comes to her in like dreams or something i don't know carrie starts reading joan didion's year of magical thinking (laughs) i can imagine this season ending with her writing a book that is like the new year of magical thinking what would the pun for that be though I couldn't help but magically think. <laughs> Later that evening, I got to magically thinking. <laughs> and just like that, I was magically thinking. <laughs> also, Nicole Ari Parker did an interview where she says that the new series will address race. She said, uh, I'm excited to be part of something that's different for them. We can talk about the elephant in the room that there were no fully fleshed out characters of color. I mean, true. Now there's the four of us. We're real people and they've been great to work with. And some of our storylines deal with race and deal with real experiences. It's New York City. True. I mean. uh, They're still amazingly wealthy (laughs) women living on the upper. Well, thank God. I don't want to like, I want to see rich women doing dumb shit. Like that's just what I want, you know, doing fancy shit that I couldn't do necessarily. 
And it's hilarious that you don't watch The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills or New York because that is what the show is. I know, but I'm too far behind. I cannot catch up on... 11 seasons? No, I can't. I can't do it. All right, fair enough. What was I going to say? Oh, in other Sex in the City news, Candace Bushnell, our girl, did a interview with the New York Post with like a very uh, clickbaity headline. Which... The New York Post? I guess. The headline was Sex in the City wasn't feminist. Mr. Big isn't worth it. I mean, really, what the quotes are she says, I don't look at the TV show the way other people look at it. I don't parse every little bit. It's a great show. It's really funny, but there are fans who it's like that show really guides them. Candace, are you talking about us? <laughs> is she dragging us? <laughs> a little bit. Well, I don't know if my life is guided by it. It's not like guiding my approach to like sex and romance. It may have guided my decision to move to New York City in 2003, but... I mean, certainly we've experienced a little bit in our DMs. I think about that one time someone messaged us and was like, I saw Ron Livingston, who plays Burger." on the street with his wife and kid and I almost ran up to him to tell him that he's a piece of shit for what he did to Carrie but I did it and it was like good don't <laughs> hey fucking psychopath so I certainly see where this comment is is coming from oh totally I mean we know how crazy sex in the city fans are from running this account I cannot imagine what Candace Bushnell's uh, lived experience as the actual Carrie Bradshaw would be like and having to hear random 20-somethings screaming at her at Balthazar about their own Mr. Big. Well, also, it's like she wasn't that involved in the show past, I think, the first season or maybe the first couple of seasons, right? Yeah. She goes on to say the reality is finding a guy who is, uh, is maybe not your best economic choice in the long run. Men can be very dangerous to women in a lot of different ways. We never talk about this. Okay, first of all, Candace. <laughs> There are literally channels on basic cable like Lifetime and LMN that are dedicated to the concept that men are very dangerous to women. Totally. But I think she's speaking more uh, financially dangerous, economically dangerous, which is true. I mean, if you don't have financial autonomy in a relationship, you are always at risk of... Losing your livelihood. Yeah, exactly. Your livelihood is tied to them. Yeah, she she says the TV show and the message were not very feminist at the end. Which she may- means in the later seasons, or does she mean in Sex and the City too? Again, Candace Bushnell was friends with Darren Starr. Darren Starr is the person who originally optioned and was the showrunner for Sex and the City, and it was always their vision that Carrie was going to end up single. And I think that's what she means. The fact that they tied the arc of the show and kind of carry self-worth too big. Totally. Although they at least had the decency to not end the show with a wedding or something. She wasn't walking down the street with Mr. Big. She was by herself, which I think was very intentional. But very excited to get a call from Big that he was moving back here. Yeah. I mean, dare I say, and maybe the So sue her for having a fucking boyfriend. Yeah, I think the problem is, well, as we learned with Sex and the City 1, them getting married. Like, right. they should just be, I don't know if we've said this on the pod or just our own <laughs> droning on about it, but, like, they should be like Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell and just never get married. Well, they already did. Twice, kind of. 1.5 times. I don't know. They, they give me uh, Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton vibes. That kind of, yeah. I can't stand being with you, but I can't live without you. Totally. Totally. 
you know, super healthy feminist stuff. <laughs> Moving on yeah. to non-sex in the city things. I'm excited to talk about season three of you. Guys, if you were put off by season two of you, jump back in. Because season three is head and shoulders above the previous season. Yeah, and you don't even need to know what happened in season two. Like, literally none of the plot carries over. Uh, um, well, the fact that he and Love are together. But ble- blessedly, Netflix does that little preview trailer of everything you've missed. And you can jump in. Yeah. So if you haven't watched You, it is a show where... Penn Badgley plays a lovable bookworm who is also a serial killer who stalks, kidnaps, and ultimately murders uh, girls that he has crushes on. What a heartthrob. And women want him. Again, going back to Candace Bushnell's point, we don't have a healthy relationship to men in media. So therefore, as women, how can we have healthy relationships with men? Uh, yeah, it was way better than season two. Also, this was set in the suburbs of San Francisco, which gave it kind of a gone girl quality. I didn't like season two because the plot was all over the place, but also it was set in LA and I don't think it was a realistic depiction of LA. It was still very much trapped in that like LA is a bunch of like boho people wearing big floppy hats where in actuality everyone is wearing streetwear and dressing like the kardashians and it's just like a very different vibe i also think it missed the moment because a big part of season two is making fun of the shop erewhon right where now through TikTok and like Emma Chamberlain, the YouTuber's obsession with Erewhon salad, I feel like it's more in the zeitgeist of culture right now that people know what Erewhon is in 2021 versus 2019 or whenever that season came out. Right. Uh, but I agree with you. Also, this season cast of characters are less all over the place than season two. Yeah, the supporting cast is better this year. How spoilery do we want to get? We don't want to get spoilery. I don't want to get too spoilery because I know a lot of people haven't finished it. Um, it's also a better satire than season two. It's a better satire oh, yeah. of people, of internet culture, mommy bloggers. Yeah, I loved the addition of Sherry and Carrie, which was like the mommy blogger and the what did her husband do? I'm sure he was an investment pro, but he's one of those like Joe Rogan biohacker guys. Yeah. Yeah, that was funny. And I also loved Theo, like the the kid next door. Which now I'm watching, which I'm only halfway through, a terrible movie called After, which he is in. He plays, the Theo character plays the good boyfriend in this film that is based on Harry Styles fan fiction. So just let that <laughs> sink in. And they Well, is he good? Because I thought he was, I thought he had sort of like a Gregor Rocky type quality in, in this season of You. But I don't know if that's just like his vibe or the character. Oh, I could definitely see him being in a Gregoraki film. I mean, this movie after is not very good. But if you finished this season of You <laughs> and you're also on Netflix, because all these movies are also on Netflix, and you need something to just put in the background while you're folding laundry or cleaning your apartment, it's great. Okay. Good to know. I have a question. Yes. Why does Penn Badgley never wear latex gloves? Like he's constantly, <laughs> he's constantly breaking and entering. Yeah. Like his house is basically always a crime scene. Yeah. He acts as if DNA and fingerprint evidence like aren't a thing. Well, he acts as if he's John Doe from the film Seven and he cut off his fingerprints. 
So his fingerprints can't be uh, traced back to him. He's staging like a fake suicide, just like with his bare hands. And they're like, oh, yeah, the the forensics look right for this, surely. I think what makes you so enjoyable beyond the satire and the satire in a way of the rom-com genre is how wonderfully psychotically naive he is, where he just thinks he hasn't met the right woman. And yeah. he keeps thinking like, oh, no, 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 I fucked up with this one. But the next one... I'm going to pour all of myself into. Yeah. Which is the dedication that women do enjoy in men. But yeah, as long as they don't trap us in a, in a clear box, how does he transport that? I know. I Again, we wonder, like, what company is responsible for making, like, sex dungeons yes. in billionaires' houses, like, Squid Game? Fifty Shades of Grey. That's the first thing like I thought when I was watching um, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. I was like, who built this torture chamber in this basement? Well, it's the same thing that gets into the Batcave where it's like, obviously you had contractors, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Alfred built it with his bare hands. What are you talking about? That's elder abuse. <laughs> yeah, so watch you. It was just so like light and watchable and... Well, if you also enjoy fucked up things like we do, it's the perfect balance of frothy serial killer things. Well, you know when it got fucked up is when he jacked off in that girl's apartment. Like, because in in reality, if someone broke into, if a man broke into a woman's house and jerked off, that's like Golden State killer behavior. Did he jerk off in her apartment or did he find the naked photo that her boyfriend... The ex had of her. Oh, and, and steal it and then jerk off. Or jerk off in his house. Anyway, I don't know. It's veering on <laughs> Harvey Weinstein shit. Like, as long as he didn't uh, ejaculate into a plant, I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah, I may have misread that. Um, that that's when Ronan Farrow <laughs> needs to be called. Uh, uh, there's no good segue. In other dark celebrity news. <sighs> yeah, there's no good segue for this. We're not going to make any jokes. There's nothing funny to say, but... By now, everyone knows about the tragedy that occurred on the Alec Baldwin film Rust. If you don't, last Thursday, while rehearsing a scene, Baldwin fired a prop gun that had a live round in it, which struck and killed the film's cinematographer, Helena Hutchins, and wounded the director, Joel Souza. The incident comes at a time where IATSE, which is a 150,000-person strong union, mostly behind-the-scenes TV and film people, are threatening to strike (laughs) due to, you know, unsafe work conditions. So, yeah, everyone's been really chill with their reactions to this, <laughs> including Don Jr., who now has a shirt that says guns don't kill people. Alec Baldwin kills people. Well, I think we have a bit of a double standard here because everyone's like, oh, it's so tragic that Alec Baldwin killed someone. But when Caitlyn Jenner killed someone, everyone was like, this is terrible, but also kind of hilarious. Well, I, <laughs> I'm i sorry. It's not, though. There's nothing funny about when anyone gets killed. That's true, but really people just go to the their respective corners of the political spectrum. And I think for the Republicans, conservatives, this is just a perfect opportunity to, quote, own the libs, where it's like, read the room. Yeah. So how did this tragedy happen? It was initially reported that many union crew members had walked off the set that morning due to deteriorating work conditions, which is true. But what actually seems to happen, which has been revealed over the last couple of days, is just a horrible and deadly miscommunication between the armier, armor, armor, the person that handles all of the guns and the first AD 
who was the one who handed the gun to Baldwin, assuring him that it was a, quote, cold gun. The AD himself... Well, shouldn't that be obvious? Like, what is this world where there's just, like, guns with live ammunition lying around film sets? Like, I actually don't understand this. So, I don't know how true this is, but I've read reports that they were shooting live ammo, like, between scenes just to, like, kill time. Like, they were shooting cans or whatever. Oh, that's fucked up. Yeah, there's plenty of blame to go around. Like the AD himself has had many complaints for his reckless onset behavior. And then the armor is 24 years old. She's the daughter of a famous armor. But this was only her second job. And it came out yesterday that she, on her first film, she blew out Nicolas Cage's eardrum by shooting a gun off too close to him. Ooh. Yeah. Yikes. So... Yeah, I mean, I think... It's obviously tragic what happened to the DP. It's also tragic what happened to Alec Baldwin. Like, he didn't deserve that. And he certainly shouldn't be the one who is tasked with checking the guns to make sure that they aren't full of live ammunition. Yeah, I think what I've learned out of this experience is there's not actually such thing as a prop gun. That when you see guns on films, they're real guns. I don't know why I always assumed they were plastic or made of something different. Yeah, but don't they just have blanks? And I mean, yes, yes. But even blanks, it can go wrong, which is what happened on the set of The Crow with Brandon Lee. Gun Yeah, how did he die again? They, so I guess they shoot a test round, and sometimes the casing can get stuck in front of a blank that is loaded, and that is what happened. But what's even more fucked up when I was looking into this story is he was shot, and in the scene he's supposed to fall forwards, but he fell backwards. And so they just thought he was fucking around in the beginning. And when they went over to him, there was no visible blood. So they thought that when he fell backwards, he hit his head and was unconscious. And like checked his pulse and he was fine. Then within two minutes, he was dead. Jesus. Yes. Um, Can't they do this with CGI? Like, do we need to do this? So that's the other thing is why people shoot blanks is to get the muzzle flash, which... You only really need at night. And also, yes, a lot of VFX people have come forward and been like, you can realistically do this for pretty cheap now. So really, there's no reason to do this stuff. Well, I feel like this will be the nail in the coffin. I hope. I mean. The death nail, as it were. (sighs) Yeah. It's like there aren't enough female DPs in this town as is. And now there's one less. Do we have less dark things to talk about? Not really. No. (laughs) Guys, we've, we tried all our might not to talk about this Dave Chappelle thing, but now we're going to have to fucking talk about it. Well, because it doesn't seem to be going away, and there seems to be updates every week. But just to give some context for those of you who have been living under a rock, Dave Chappelle's latest comedy special, The Closer, came out earlier this month. Actually, I drove by the billboard for it on the way here, and I'm like, why does this billboard look like... Dave Chappelle is headlining the Pepsi halftime show. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> oh, that kind of like almost like sepia tone grayscale, if that makes any sense. No, no. It's like there's smoke machines. You just have to see it. But the special sparked immediate backlash because it contained many offensive jokes about trans women. People on Twitter went crazy and put pressure on Netflix to remove it from their platform. Organizations like Glad obviously condemned it. Queer and trans 
Netflix employees staged a walkout following an internal email from Netflix president Ted Sarandos, who claimed that, quote unquote, content on screen doesn't directly translate into real world harm. Several celebrities have weighed in since, which we'll get into in a moment. But I would like to know, what did you think of The Closer? The closer, closer. I the know. Closer. You're, you're, did I call it closer? You did call. I like, called it closer, like that Chain Smokers song. Oh, I was going to say the Mike Nichols film, Closer. While you were speaking, I was just imagining a crossover of Dave Chappelle in the Mike Nichols film, Closer. <laughs> um, did you suck his cock? How many times? Should I re-record that? No, I think it's cute. Okay. I have watched all of Dave Chappelle's specials on Netflix, and they're not funny. And I'm not <laughs> like, first and foremost, they're, they're just not good. I mean, I heard Chappelle's show was brilliant, but I never watched Chappelle's show. Did you? I watched the most popular sketches, right? Like Charlie Murphy's print stories are fabulous, incredible. How much of that is Chappelle? And also Chappelle had a whole writer's room. But a mythology has sort of sprung up around Chappelle and the fact that he walked away from Comedy Central and walked away from $50 million to do a third season. And I feel like it was this open-ended story until Netflix came back and gave him $60 million to do four specials. Because the whole joke of, I think, the first Netflix special is, I walked away from 50 to make 60. And right. And I think ever since that's happened, he's really made himself believe that he walked away from the Comedy Central deal for like some bigger narrative, some bigger point than just like he bugged the fuck out. And I, I get it. I understand he's told a story that he felt that white people were laughing at the wrong things. It's so funny that he's really dug his heels into this trans, these trans issues because it's like, don't you see that the people who are laughing are laughing for the wrong reasons, my dude? Yeah, yeah. When I first heard that people were upset about this, I assumed they were upset over, I don't know, five minutes of material about right. trans women. But two thirds of this show was him making a half-baked argument about why he's not transphobic. More than being offensive, it just felt very dated. Jokes about trans women are kind of standard in yeah. comedy. It's like low-hanging fruit. It's very cliche. Even when I went to that deranged comedy show recently, there were several jokes by multiple comedians about trans women. So oh, I when feel you were like, forced to go to the Laugh Factory? Would yeah. you be surprised if the owner of the Laugh Factory said, we need to stand by Dave Chappelle? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just he obviously has a very simplistic, rudimentary worldview about transness. That's obvious. I don't know if it qualifies as hate speech, but it's definitely going to appeal to people that would be into hate speech about trans people. Right. I don't think that Dave Chappelle is transphobic in the sense that I don't think he actually does want harm done to trans people. Having said that, what he says is transphobic. To call trans women's vaginas impossible pussy or beyond pussy strengthens the stereotype that they're not real women. Trans women are killed by boyfriends or lovers because they think it's going to get out that they are dating or having sex, and that means less of them somehow. And this kind of comedy special reinforces that really dated, terrible, toxic idea. Oh, for sure. It's not doing the trans community any favors. That said, I think some of his material about gay people was fucking hilarious. Go like, on. 
Well, like he had great gay jokes in the last special too. like calling the LGBTQIA community the alphabet people is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. And the problem is there are great premises, but the execution is bad because the alphabet people bit the premise of calling them alphabet people genius. Then how he described each group is so baked into 1995, like ABC comedy shit. But he had his moments like he had a few zingers like he is again not a comedian that I enjoy or that speaks to me but I understand that he has a shtick and it appeals to other people. He has an audience that lives for this shit. Which is why Netflix puts it on. Netflix, Ted Sarandos, who is the chief content officer and co-CEO with Reed Hastings of Netflix, their job is to maintain and attract subscribers. And this controversy, which by the way, he only did this special because of the controversy from his material from the last special. Like, I feel like it's the snake eating its tail and it's never going to stop because the more controversy means the more he's going to dig into this. Yeah. And the more he digs into this, like my parents watched the special. They had no intention to, but because all this shit got kicked up, they were like, okay, let's see what this is about. Oh, I would have never watched this otherwise. Same. I would have never talked about it on the podcast. It's it's so true. I resisted wanting to talk about this on the podcast the week that the special came out because I didn't want to give it more attention and energy. And now Netflix <laughs> would be fucking idiots not to give him another special. Yeah. However, he should resist the urge to talk about this shit more because it's becoming hacky. Yeah. Well, he's not really making sound points also. Like, you think he might be going in a direction that's, like, halfway okay. You're like, oh, okay, what is he going to say about X, Y, Z? And it it never lands anywhere meaningful, right? Like, it's just, he's not, if his point, if he's trying to prove that he's not transphobic or that he has a perfectly evolved view about gender, it's like he's not making a good case for that with this. If this show has a theme, the theme is, like, I'm going to clear the air about people saying that I'm transphobic because of the jokes I made the other special. Yeah. And it reminded me of like when I was in high school, a Spanish teacher assigned something and we all came in and we did it all wrong. And instead of yelling at us, he was like, oh, obviously, if all of you did the assignment wrong, I didn't explain it correctly. And right. that is not the attitude Dave Chappelle <laughs> was taking up. Like, oh, if no one's understanding my point, I'm clearly not making my point correctly. But at the same time, it's like, I don't think that Netflix should remove this from their platform. I think that's insane. I don't think that everything has to appeal to everyone. And I don't think that just because what Dave Chappelle is saying doesn't reflect my worldview, that it shouldn't exist, however toxic and shitty it is. If you that know? were the case, then Ted's Sarando should take down all those shitty Ryan Reynolds and Mark Wahlberg films that are <laughs> honestly the top five most watched things. If you look at not TV shows, like TV shows is a, is a more wider swath of kind of content and genres. But if you look at Netflix original films that have done the most, it is the most depressing thing to look at. No, totally. But it also could be a slippery slope because let's face it, there's a lot of offensive transphobic stuff out there, including Sex in the City. That one episode could be removed from streaming platforms. Would that be a beneficial thing? Right. I don't know. Let, let us know what you think. On the hotline. Call into the hotline. 
But having said that, the PR hobbyist in me also doesn't think it was a great idea that Ted Sarando sent an email throughout the company that basically put the LGBT content that they have on the platform almost as a shield. Yeah, he was like, yeah, well, we have this special, but we also have Sex Education and Orange is the New Black and and Hannah Gatsby's comedy specials, which... This is my favorite part (laughs) of the whole thing. Since neither of us can do a good Australian accent, we are now having our Australian correspondent, Tatiana Waterford, read what Hannah Gatsby wrote. Hey, Ted Sarandos, just a quick note to let you know that I would prefer if you didn't drag my name into your mess. Now I have to deal with even more of the hate and anger that Dave Chappelle's fans like to unleash on me every time Dave gets $20 million to process his emotionally stunted partial worldview. You didn't pay me nearly enough to deal with the real-world consequences of the hate speech dog-whistling you refuse to acknowledge, Ted. Fuck you and your immoral algorithm cult. I do shits with more backbone than you. That's just a joke. I definitely didn't cross the line because you just told the world there isn't one. I mean, I'm into this because it's ballsy. You know, she really walks the walk. She has made her viewpoints about how shitty and toxic stand-up comedy inherently is. She's made a very compelling case for it in uh, Nanette specifically. And I think it's cool that she is happy to annihilate her relationship with Netflix over this particular issue. Which is easy to do when you've already gotten your money from Netflix. I will just put that out there. Well, it's also easy to do when you have this sort of name recognition and cultural cachet that she has at this particular moment. Hulu will put out her special. Anyone will put out her special. Yeah, Showtime. It's It's not going to be hard for her to go elsewhere with that. Chappelle put out another statement addressing this controversy, saying that he would meet with the trans and LGBTQ community at large, but he did have demands. First of all, you cannot come if you have not watched my special from beginning to end. You must come to a place of my choosing at a time of my choosing. And thirdly, you must admit that Hannah Gatsby is not funny. Which I'm sorry. That's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. I disagree, but... Yeah, I disagree, but that was uh, wonderfully structured, and it does make me laugh at the end. Did he get to the end of Nanette, though? That's the other thing. I I want Hannah Gatsby to write back, and is like, I will meet with you, but you have to watch. (laughs) If you don't get to the end of Nanette, you've missed the whole point. Right. I think hers needs to be like, you have to have watched all of Nanette from beginning to end. You have to meet me in Tasmania and you have to admit Joe Rogan's not funny. (laughs) You know who's siding with Dave Chappelle is our girl, Caitlyn Jenner. Oh yeah, ding dong. Caitlyn Jenner has entered the chat. Uh, She tweeted, Dave Chappelle is 100% right. This isn't about the LGBTQ movement. It's about woke cancel culture run amok trying to silence free speech. We must never yield or bow to those who wish to stop us from speaking our minds. This feels like the part in a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where Larry David has made a terrible point and he's like trying to get people on his side, but an even worse person than Larry's (laughs) like, I agree with you. And Larry's like, not now. No, no, no. (laughs) I know. Poor Dave Chappelle. He, he didn't need <laughs> Caitlyn Jenner to weigh in on this. He didn't. All right, let's talk about fashion. I need a palette cleanser. Yeah. We got a new Mugler collection this week. Hallelujah. It's brilliant. I mean, I think Casey Ketwalder. <laughs> One day we'll figure out how to say his name. You know what, Casey? If you want to call the hotline and let us know how to say your last name, we'd love it because we think you're brilliant. And I think he's doing an amazing job taking the DNA of Mugler and kind of fusing it with the zeitgeist of now. 
Yeah, I mean, this is how slutty rich girls should dress. And, and I, I think w- it's how they are dressing, you know? It makes me, a middle-aged millennial, want to be a <laughs> slutty rich girl in these outfits. Yeah, I mean, I love the silhouettes. I loved the jackets with the big 80s shoulders. I loved the hosiery, like the tights with the seams in the front and the duotone tights. It was all very fabulous. And also, I mean, this is what a fashion film should be, right? When you see fashion shows in films, they cut out all the boring parts, the uh, walking all the way forward, the walking all the way back. And this actually shows off the clothing. I thought the pandemic would push more labels to start doing stuff like this because to put on a fashion show at an after party costs as much to make a fashion film like this. And you can actually see the clothing perfectly. They do a matching lookbook of still imagery. I mean, usually most fashion films like the Margiela ones that we've talked about recently, you don't come away from it with a good sense of how the clothes actually looked typically. And this was very much the opposite. I mean, there is no better way to see fashion than in a fashion show format, period. People try and get away from that, but it just ends up being like a boring perfume commercial that no one wants to watch. And I think they've done a really good job. And it's your friends, right? Yeah. The, I also should note that the video was directed by Torso, my fabulous uh, former colleagues from when I worked at V-Files. They're amazing. They also did a great video for the new Gautier collection, which we'll get into in a second. They've done a great job of making a white void interesting. Yeah. And having these people dressed in, in white basically hold them up and help them, you know, fall backwards. Usually things that would be green screened out, they're showing. Yeah. They have a very different perspective than most directors, creative directors who, do, who are doing fashion stuff. And it, it is refreshing. Well, most creative directors would have it filmed in the, you know, French countryside with eight millimeter film. And it's like, I can't see any of this clothing. <laughs> Yeah, I also really liked that Lourdes Leon is continuing her reign of extreme hotness. Again, super noddle. <laughs> In other news, so Gautier launched... It feels like it's their first ready-to-wear collection in forever, but it's actually not because they launched one last season, but it was like with a bunch of guest designers. So it wasn't really that cohesive. You know what I mean? Yes. But this season, they actually, I guess, have an in-house team doing this shit, and they released a collection that was just a mishmash of the brand's greatest hits, right? It's, It's trench coats. It's the stripey shirts. It's the... The mesh shit, the trompe l'oeil shit, all of that. It's funny, yeah. Another thing I wanted to say about the Mugler collection is we often say about venerable 90s houses of like, just design your archive. And I feel like Mugler is one that we don't attach that criticism to. Well, you don't have to do it if they actually put a talented creative director in place. But that just basically never happens. Or doesn't never... It's just like, it's hard to find those... It's rare to find someone that can really... It's rare and elevate it, and transform. It's rare and it takes time. I mean, Casey's been at Mugler since 2018. Yeah, but Gautier is doing the opposite. Like they are they yeah. are doing greatest hits, which they I'm should. not even that mad at. Well, I'd I'd rather have them do both because I like that this collection feels like they're kind of creating, recreating, retooling the sort of pieces that people would really, that would be very covetable on the vintage market, you know? 
Well, s- someone, uh, some youth is is there right now is like, uh, just so you know, this is all the stuff that's being sold on Depop. That's Jean-Paul Gaultier. And they're like, great, let's just redesign that. Yeah, and stylistically, it feels much closer to Gautier's Supreme collab that they did a few years ago than to what Gautier Ready to Wear has been historically. And it's a it's a lower price point too than than what they've done in the past. Like you can get like a a long mesh dress for six hundred bucks, well, which that- is obviously expensive, but it's not like that's that's cheap in the scheme of fashion. Yeah, yeah. I do love that they remade or may, I, I think it might have been slightly different from the original, but that those high-waisted pinstripe pants with the suspenders that Madonna wore topless. Like with to her some, tits out? Yeah, to some sort of like Amphar benefit or something. I don't think it was yeah. one of his fashion shows. But it's like, yes, that's what people would actually like to buy. Well, certainly Miley Cyrus would. We have one more fashion thing. Which is also a Kardashian thing. So we'll be playing the theme now. Kardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. (laughs) So Fendi Skims happened. Which we kind of knew because it was floating around TikTok. Someone was in a store like a month or two ago and photographed a dress. Yeah, something, some images leaked from it a while back. Uh, So it didn't have that shock factor. But I mean, I like it more than Fendachi. That much I will say. It just feels a little soon to be coming after the Fendachi thing. Because it's the same pattern structure, right? Where it's like, okay, the name of the brand we're collaborating with above Fendi or below Fendi and just repeat that. Yeah, is Fendi okay? No. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I at least, I think it's offering more than Fendachi just because Skims is a completely opposite aesthetic. Although the thing that they share is the color palette, right? As I've said before, these are both brands that make clothes that are also shades of foundation. The release is coinciding with this Wall Street Journal magazine article about Kim Kardashian because she's one of their innovators of 2021. Congrats, Kim. But their friendship started because I guess she heard that people in the Kim Jones's Fendi office love Skim. So she sent a box. And then they began discussing the collaboration last December. And then in March, they both flew to Mexico because Kim Jones couldn't get into the United States and did a fitting where Kim was the fit model. Why couldn't he? Just because of COVID restrictions. Huh. It's really? Not, yeah. Europeans can't come to the United States until November 6th or 8th is when they're opening it up again. Huh. I didn't know that. Right. We can go to Europe. They can't come here. <laughs> Another reason they hate us. The collection includes form-fitting tops, dresses that start at $950, $1,100 leggings, a $3,000 puffer jacket, as well as, you know, a whole run of Fendi Skims logo printed underwear, shapewear. I mean, if you can't afford Mugler, <laughs> this might be for you. Well, our friend Maya made the point of like, I like it. I don't love it. I wish it was loungewear. Yeah, like there's nothing that I would want to buy. I mean, for one thing, I just I'm not a bodycon bitch. Um, yeah, exactly. If they made sleepwear, if they made loungewear, that sort of thing, I would be into it. But I don't know. Do we know how much this shit costs? Like, what is the price point? I literally just said it. Oh, dresses, form fitting tops, dresses starting at nine fifty. Wait, starting at nine fifty? Yes, like nine hundred and fifty dollars. Yes. Wow. Okay, that's stupid. This sucks. I thought in my mind the dresses were like 300 bucks. 
this is exclusively for sugar babies and like mistresses. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean that in the best way possible, but this is for also Dorit Kimsey from The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Okay, that is exactly who's going to be wearing this. The cast of Selling Sunset. Yes. <laughs> Actually, yeah, the Oppenheimer <laughs> brothers are going to get all of those real estate blondes in front of Sunset Plaza <laughs> on a billboard in uh, Fendi Skims. Okay, now that I know that, I kind of hate it now. So weird. I was like fully expecting this to be like at Nordstrom. <laughs> Our favorite place to go to shop Skims is the Nordstrom at, at the, the Grove. Grove. Yeah. So there's not really a lot of interesting Kardashian news this week. So we're going to wrap it up now. But I want to reiterate that all of y'all should call our new hotline. What's the number again, Lauren? 323-486-6773. If you disagree with us and you would like to make your point about why we are wrong, if you have questions, if you have suggestions of stuff you'd like us to cover. If you have gossip about celebrities or influencers, or other people that we might care about, or tea about, and just like that. Please leave that after the tone. Beep. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.